The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. Eating is important in our 21st century, socially aware, health-conscious culture. The food we eat and the the way we share about the food we eat and the way we think about the food we eat, often our lives revolve around the meals and the planning and the preparing and the shopping and where we go and why we eat what we choose to eat. Now, it can range anything from the the health of the food we're eating or the posts we make about the pictures of the food we're eating or whether or not we um, are, are willing to go to go to the chain restaurants or whether we're the kind of people who want to be at a hole-in-the-wall kind of restaurant where the line's a little bit too long, but you know that means the food is good, right? Eating is central to to our lives um, in in the 21st century American culture. Now, you you can see this, right, in variations of dieting, right? There are thousands of different diets. You have the Atkins diet or eating vegan or keto or cleansing or Mediterranean or paleo diets, or you could go into... Um, just the, the being the food snob, right? You, you, you try to figure out where are you going to eat. And so my, my, my idea is, all right, can we find the hole in the wall that is highly reviewed on the internet, but also that uh, you kind of feel like no one knows about it, but everybody manages actually to find their way to the place? Um, and there, there's also, right, research also tells us that there's something significant that happens when we eat together. That it's not just about um, the, the perceptions we can create because of the kind of food we eat, but we know that when we eat together with people, it has a significant relational impact. For, for children, actually, one of the things that research has shown is in terms of a child's health, in terms of obesity, in terms of relationship with parents, and even performance in school, that when a child eats with their family, it has a significant impact on all of those those areas of their life, because there's something powerful that happens around the table that has an impact on the life of a child. There's something about the relationships and the intimacy that we form when we eat with somebody. There's something that happens at the table. In Jesus' ministry, one of the places that we see over and over and over again, that we see Jesus interacting and Jesus having conversations, is at the table. Because there's something that happens at the table with Jesus that makes an impact of anyone who sits at the table with Jesus. When Jesus invites somebody to the table, it changes the people who sit at the table with Jesus. And so so much so that while the book of Mark describes the work of Jesus, Mark will set the theme of Jesus by saying the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost... The gospel writer Luke actually describes the work of Jesus in a theme throughout his book saying that that Jesus, the Son of Man, came eating and drinking. So while Mark puts this one idea out there, the Son of Man came to seek and save, Luke says, well, he came eating and drinking, that this was central. In fact, as you read the gospel of Luke, what you'll find is Jesus often is either on his way to a meal, eating a meal, or having just left a meal. Right Over and over again in the book of Luke, what you'll find is that there's something about what happens at the table that is significant in the way Luke records the ministry of Jesus. Which is also why Luke, 
even records the accusations against Jesus. Jesus is accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. Why? Because there's something significant happening at the meals. And so Jesus eats with all kinds of people. And he spends all kinds of time eating and drinking and hanging out around the table. And so today in Holy Week, the place that takes center stage on Thursday is at a table. And so Jesus, with some friends, gathers around the table for a meal that they have celebrated many other times. They celebrate the Passover meal every year. And so Jesus does what he does so often, is he has a meal. And so I want to take us into the book of Luke as Jesus is hanging out with his disciples, having this meal. If you could open your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 22. We'll spend some time in verses 7 to 38. If you're using the Bibles in front of you, it's on page 1,000. 637. Now when we read the Gospels and, we, and when we know who Jesus chooses to have at the meals with him, what we can begin to understand is the significance of what Jesus is doing. Now we understand a little bit that we, we only want to have certain people around our tables. When we invite somebody into our homes, we have to have some level of relationship with them. But I think we lose a little bit of the significance in the weight of what Jesus does when he invites people around his table. In the first century world of Jesus, they had a class system that was was enforced. And so in Jesus' day, it was illegal to mingle with sinners who were outside the law. And so for beggars, for tax collectors, for prostitutes, for, for Jesus to invite them at the table... It would damage his reputation, it would be risky, it would be dangerous. And yet Jesus chooses to have these kind of people at the table, which was off limits. It was unheard of. It was also not the kind of thing taken lightly. You don't just haphazardly invite a beggar into the meal. Or when Jesus has the woman who washes his feet with perfume, that doesn't just happen accidentally. Jesus is intentional about who he chooses to have at the table. The table is the place that demonstrates peace and reconciliation between the people who sit at the table together. And so we think about meals a lot, but we don't quite make quite the same level of importance that, that it was in Jesus' day. And so for Jesus to invite somebody to a meal or for Jesus to go over somebody's house is about more than just the food. He's entering into a relationship. He's demonstrating something about who he is. And so throughout Jesus' ministry, we see over and over again, Jesus is eating with a ragtag group of messed up people. He's accused of being a drunk because he's eating and drinking with people who get drunk. He's accused of being a glutton because he's so often seen with all of these people who people accuse and people who don't want Jesus to be around. But Jesus doesn't care whether it's a drunk or a prostitute, a tax collector, or a religious hypocrite, or a slumlord. Jesus says, come to my table. Come and eat and drink. And so when we read the account of the Last Supper, it is one of many meals. One of many meals with stumbling and struggling and broken people who Jesus eats and drinks with. And so in Luke chapter 22, we we will read, picking up in verse 14, it says this, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. 
He took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup of wine, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine at the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays me. They begin to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. And now I love what happens next because what we see it is the mess of who gets invited at the table. Because what happens, they start, they start arguing, they start bickering. Which is exactly what happens around many of our tables, right? When, when we invite people around our table, there's, sometimes there's arguing, sometimes it's a little bit messy, sometimes there's bickering. And so when Jesus has his closest friends around the table, they start to argue. It says, also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Now Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you're not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest. The one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater? The one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And then Jesus is, gets into a bit of prophesying, a bit of pointing out to Peter what is about to happen. And he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, Strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Then Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it. Also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. And so Jesus is at this table, and he's sitting with them. And he says, this is what has to happen. This moment, this conversation, this meal has to be shared. To fulfill what the scripture said, but also to demonstrate the work that Jesus came to do. See, what we see at the table, when Jesus eats with Peter, with Judas, with all of the disciples, what we see is Jesus knows who he eats with. See, at the table, you are known. When Jesus sits at the table with the disciples, Jesus isn't oblivious to the kind of people he's eating with. Jesus indicates even that he knows. He knows that someone's going to betray him. He knows what's about to happen. And so when Jesus says, right, the hand of the one who is going to betray me is with me on the table, he knows that this is going to happen. This is not, he doesn't only know what happened before with the disciples. He knows what's going to happen. When he says to Peter, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you'll deny three times that you know me. Jesus knows what's about to happen. He knows that Peter, one of his closest friends, is going to just run away. 
See, what's amazing to me about this moment when Jesus is, is, is at the table, he doesn't know just the past sins, he knows the future ones. And so he sits and he's eating and he's drinking. Jesus knows what they've done and what they will do. Yet he chooses to have them gather around this table. See, Jesus invites you to the table. And he doesn't, not only knowing your past sins, but knowing the ones that haven't happened yet. Jesus invites you to the table, knowing the things that you are, that you regret, the things that you're ashamed of. But he also knows that some of your greatest failures still might be coming. And he still says, come, come and eat, come and drink. He knows even the things that you don't know. And he says, now come, because there is no amount of sin and there is no amount of failure that will keep you from my table. Over and over again, Jesus sat around with people, some whose sins were known, some people who were virtually unknown. Yet all of them get gathered around this table where Jesus knows all of the things. He knows the outside and the inside. He knows the people, and he sat with people who were, who were known by their scarlet sins and their troubled past. Yet Jesus says, none of that will separate you from the table. Because Jesus sees them differently. He sees them as loved, as children not defined by their sin or their failure. And so when Jesus eats this last supper with his disciples, he knows. He knows the sin. He knows the failure. See, it's not just a table where you think about what God did once, but a table where you can come and you eat and you know that God knows it all. He sees it all, yet he Loves you unconditionally. Now, it's, just not, it's not just, though, about being known. Because at the table, what we also see is Jesus clearly in his words will tell us that what he's done, he's giving his forgiveness. See, at the table, you are also forgiven. And so Jesus indicates this when, when he describes what happens. Jesus hands over the cup of wine and says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's poured out for you. The book of Matthew records the parallel of this same statement and says, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Right? This is not just some happy meal that happens every year. There's something more significant going on than just a tradition that they do every year. Jesus is saying, No, this meal, this table is about your sins being erased. They're washed clean. It's more than just friends hanging out. It's more than just a Passover meal. Jesus is doing something new. He's initiating this meal. He's making a promise that in some way, in some way we can't explain or understand, he's doing for us what no one else could do. See, at this meal, there's more going on than meets the eye. And we might not be able to explain how there's more going on, and you don't have to know how to explain what happens at the table. In fact, most of Jesus' ministry, we can't really explain how it works. We can't really explain how this cup of wine is Jesus' blood. We, we can't really explain how the, how the bread is the body of Jesus. We can't, but we also can't explain how God could be so generous in his forgiveness or how God turns water into wine or how God can raise the dead. See, we often can't explain the work of Jesus. But I'm not asking you to explain it. What, what I'm saying is just believe, which is what Jesus says. He says, take and eat, trust this is, is for you. 
And so we eat and we drink knowing that this is, that I'm not doing this for somebody else, and I'm taking it because I need it. And Jesus says to you, you know, your sins, all of them, every single one, they're all forgiven. The things that you're guilty of that should get you kicked out of the meal, those are forgiven. The, the, the things that you are most ashamed of that you hope nobody ever finds out, Jesus says, I already know. I already know about those ones, but come, you're, you're welcome here. You're invited. The things that you've become convinced that if only you keep those hidden because God would be so angry with you, he would never let you in. God, Jesus says, I'm not mad. I'm still proud of you. So come and eat. At the table, you are forgiven. And it's not because somehow that the table that Jesus sits at is better. It's not somehow that the meal he's feeding us is better. It's because Jesus is at the table. And when Jesus is at the table, what Jesus says goes. And so when Jesus says, this is my body, it's, it's what it is. And when Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, they really are. Because it's Jesus' words. Because when Jesus shows up at the table, he does what he says he's going to do. And so when Jesus says to you, your sins are forgiven, they are all forgiven. They're not forgiven so long as you better yourself or so long as you, you pray hard enough or so long as you get your act together. No, they're just forgiven once and for all. You can even, like Jesus could even say, what sin? I don't remember. The scriptures tell us God remembers our sins no more. Now, what we also can see at this table, not only do we see that God knows us, that we are known, or not only do we see that our sins are forgiven, but it also gives us a glimpse of what's to come. See, at the table, you get a taste of another meal. You get a taste of what's coming, a taste of the promise. When Jesus said to the disciples, I tell you, I will not eat again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Jesus is connecting this meal with his disciples and this meal that we celebrate together to one day the scriptures describe there's another feast. That there is a party and a celebration that is coming that is bigger than we could imagine. And what I love about the feast is it echoes all of the scriptures description of the meals that Jesus has. And what do you see in those meals? You see a group of people who gather around and, and they're all different from each other. You get beggars and prostitutes and religious people all gather around and somehow at the table all the differences are pushed to the side. And so they get gathered around this table. And so we get a glimpse when Jesus says, come, take and eat. Come, take and drink. It's a glimpse of what's to come. Because in the feast of all feasts, we get gathered around. And it doesn't matter what you look like, where you come from. It doesn't matter what your sin is or what my sin is. We get invited to a party. A meal of all meals. And so the people at the party might be different than you expect. Some of them, you might not even want to be at the party. But Jesus invites them. And so they show up, some of them surprising, some of them you'd expect. None of them deserving, but they're a group of people who are brought together around the table. And the way that Jesus throws a party, what I love about this feast. See, when, it, when I get invited to a wedding, always in the back of my head is, all right, we need to make sure we give a gift so we can pay back the cost of the plate at the wedding, right? I'm sure some of you have done that, right? You've got to make sure you can at least pay back the cost of the party. But when Jesus invites us to the, to the feast, there's no paying back the cost of the plate. 
We don't need to pay back the cost of the plate, and we couldn't pay back the cost of this party. The cost was too high, but the cost was on Jesus for us. It's free. And so we get invited to this party. We can't pay back the cost of what would happen on Friday, yet Jesus invites us all. And so we get this glimpse of this meal that Jesus says, I will I'll not eat again until it finds fulfillment. The book of Isaiah prophesies of the same kind of thing when it says it this way. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast. A feast of rich food for all people, not some people, for all people. A banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. See, in this, in this meal that Jesus says will come to fruition, we see a new heaven and a new earth, a new celebration where God's people get gathered no matter what they've done, no matter what they said. Those who believe in the promise and the work of Jesus, he says it all comes to fulfillment. And there's no more tear, there's no more pain. In fact, some of you who have felt that ache, felt that longing, that maybe one day I could sit across from that person I love. Jesus says, one day you will sit at the table and we'll have a party all together. And you'll sit across the table from the person you love and so dearly miss. And you'll sit, and you'll sit a, few, a few seats down, maybe from the person you can't believe is there. And all together there will be an unexplainable joy because this feast has united us all together. By the blood of Jesus. And so the disciples get a taste of this, of this promise. And so they get a taste of what's coming, yet the next day they feel the pain of the cross. They get a taste of the hope that wipes away the tear, but the next day their eyes are filled with tears. And so they see the hope and the promise, yet they experience the weight of Friday. And for us, we experience the same thing. We experience the hope. The hope of the resurrection, the hope of the promise. Yet for many of us, we also still wait with the tears and the hurt. So when we come to the table, Jesus gives us a taste of what's to come. That we're all invited, hungry or filled, happy or sad, broken or whole. And I love what Jesus says when he shows up with his disciples. Because he shows up, And they're gathered around the table, and he says to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. See, some of you may not feel like Jesus feels that way about you. But what Jesus says to you when we come to the table, he says, I have been waiting for this. I have been waiting to share this meal with you. I have been waiting, and I know all about you. And I know all your hurts and all your pain. I have been eagerly waiting for this moment. Because I know your sin. And it's all forgiven. I have been waiting for this day. What Jesus said to the disciples. He says to us. And so when you and I come together. We eat and we drink. We come and know that we're known. We come and know that we truly are forgiven. And we can look around at the friends and family who eat with us. And we can long for the day with the friends and family we will eat with again. 
Jesus ate this meal with his friends and he eats this meal with you. And so as a feast surrounded by people, many who prayed with you and laughed with you and cried with you, we are known and loved deeply. And it's in this amazing, miraculous meal that Jesus promises he is right here with us. And when Jesus promises to be with us and when he promises to give himself to us, he's not holding back some of himself. He's not holding back some of it for if you change some things or if you change the way you're thinking or living your life. He says, no, I'm giving it all to you. When I give you my body and my blood, you get all that goes along with it. Life, forgiveness, salvation, it's all yours. And so in this meal, we have this amazing promise. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus invites broken people to the table. And he says, take and eat. This is for you. We are those people. And so Jesus says to you, I've been, I've been waiting for this. Take and eat. As we close out the service, we're going to celebrate this meal that Christ himself started. And this is not the church's idea. This is God's own idea. Jesus started it. He said, take and eat, take and drink. This is my body, this is my blood, and it's given for you. And so I'm going to prepare us for the Lord's Supper as a time of confession for us to be honest with God. And so we can confess knowing that God knows, and we confess knowing that the God we turn to always forgives. And so we'll have a time to confess to be honest with God and a time to hear the words of forgiveness. And then we'll prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper. Jesus, we thank you for being a God who loved to have meals, who loved to party, who loved to eat and drink with friends. And God, we thank you that you count us as those friends. So Jesus, there are so many times when we look at our own lives, when I look at my life, that I know I don't deserve to be at the table, that I don't feel like I have a place at the table. But Jesus, you invite us anyways. Jesus, I pray that you hear us as we think about and hold on to and cling to the work that you do for us. That you remind us not just of our sin, but you remind us of our forgiveness. So Jesus, we pray that you hear us now in these moments. As we confess what you already know. As we're honest about our own sin in our lives. promise of Jesus is that you are invited to the table. Jesus says to you that your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. On Monday Thursday, we have a tradition that is a part of how we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And so in just a moment, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. But as we, as we finish the Lord's Supper, there's a moment where we can reflect on the work of Christ that also connects us and carries us into Good Friday. 
And so as we wrap up the Lord's Supper, what, what we'll have is we'll have an opportunity and in in, in all of the elements and all that's on the altar will be removed. And it's, it's called the stripping of the altar. And in it, what we are reminded of is that in the work of Jesus, he was stripped. He was robbed of dignity and he was humiliated for us. And so in, in this, what we are reminded of is that Christ himself is stripped and humiliated all of it on our behalf, and that carries us out of Thursday and into Friday. And so as we wrap up our celebration, we'll be reminded of that and have an opportunity to leave um, in silence following um, one of our traditional Holy Week um, hymns. Would the ushers and the lay ministers please come forward?